Honestly, I thought I had done my very last before and after transformation podcast. I mean, it's really hard to top people like, you know, Josh Lajani, Tim Kaufman, Anthony Masiello, Heather Goodwin, and so many others. And then I saw Dan Caracciolo's pre-post photos on my Facebook feed in the Missing Chins Run Club. And my first reaction, honestly, was like, bullshit, this isn't even the same guy. It looked like an episode of the comedy TV show Nathan For You, where he gets the author of a fake fitness book to hire an overweight guy to be his before photo. Uh, But as I dove into Dan's feed and I saw the slow and steady progression from overweight and diabetic to fit and not just fit, but happy and not just happy, but like way younger looking and more vibrant and more, I don't know, present like alive, I became a believer. And so Dan and I jumped on a Zoom call to talk about his transformation from unhappy, overweight diabetic to ebullient athlete. And yes, I don't think I've ever used the word ebullient before. Maybe, maybe high school. <laughs> and we spoke about his favorite exercise, rowing, and he gave me a bunch of tips that I'm going to use because, you know, I could row on that machine in my living room for hours and I don't move an inch. It's very frustrating, honestly. Um, We talked about food and the mindset that was required to completely shift his dietary pattern. We talked about mental health and his own struggles and how important it is to destigmatize mental health challenges so that we can address them, you know, ourselves and within our communities. And we also talked about Dan's commitment to social justice, including supporting the Black Lives Matter movement and his practice of offering a safety lifeline to non-gender conforming youth, which is why Dan's Facebook name is Dan Caracciolo He. Um, One note of warning, the audio is not the best for reasons best known by Zoom and perhaps sound engineers everywhere. Everything we say is audible, but you might have to turn down the heavy machinery nearby to really get the most out of the conversation. Uh, Apologies for that. At least I wasn't typing. (laughs) So enjoy. I'd love to hear your feedback about Dan's amazing story. So without further ado, Dan Caraciolo, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast. Thank you. How are you? I'm, I'm great. I'm excited to have this conversation. Me too. Um, and so I got to say, like, when I first saw, like, this is, we're going to talk about a lot of things, but the thing that caught my eye was a before and after picture that you posted in the Missing Chins Run Club. And, you know, I'm friends and business partners with Josh Lajani, who, has a, yes. who also has great before and after pictures. Right. But in his before picture, I recognize him. In your before picture, I looked at that. I showed it to several people. They all agreed it was not the same man. I had to go into your Facebook account and look at pictures you posted over the year and a half or two years, or I guess since 2017, to actually verify that this wasn't a scam. Um, You also look kind of like your son. Like like the guy three years ago could be your father. So I know. It's you know what's the best part of that, Howie. Though I'm going to tell you is the four people in my life every day recognize me fully, wholly, um, as me and consistently, and doesn't recognize me as I was. Um, mm. You know, as you know, an, an omnivorous, 350-ish pound, you know, man. 
uh, 37 years old with type 2 diabetes. Um, we forgot all about that, actually. Um, person. I mean, granted, he was the person I say a lot that he's the person that kind of, you know, stuck up for me right now uh, first. <clears throat> um, but yeah, I, I, I often have to link my Instagram to post like that from, you know, just to be sure, like, hey, like, I'm not here to make money on anything on anyone or, you know, try to do the wrong thing here. This is me. This is what happened. This I love plants this way for now almost three years. Um, and it's completely changed me physically, um, emotionally, um, in so many, you know, awesome ways that I have to kind of, I feel obligated almost to create those sort of wow-ish kind of side-by-sides. I've made a couple in the past that are kind of, you know, borderline, you know, just, just really shocking. Um, I've done one with like a silhouette of my stomach when it was out to here. And then with me inside it today, actually, and it's a really cool image um, to see sort of. So it's just sort of like, um, I've always been, I've been, I say this a lot. I've been on a journey for a long time since I'm probably seven or eight years old, um, like searching for, uh, my, the lifestyle that I have today. Um, so I kind of like feel personally that I've manifested this out, um, for a long time and, you know, knew that I would be able to complete, you know, what yeah. I wanted to complete. That's really, that's so far of it. So, yeah. Thank you. I appreciate you, it. You know, it is me for real. It is me. 100%. <laughs> yeah. Do, do you have any uh, like identity documents that are still like the old you, like driver's license or passport or stuff that you have to show people? So I have my driver's license. Actually, I don't have it on me. Yeah, my driver's license. I have a chin that's out to here. Um, it's from 2016. In New York State, we have it eight years. So I'll have it um, for another four or so. And... Um, it is no. It nobody says anything, you know, when it happens. Like Costco, I just actually had it out. I'm the one that brings it up. I'm like, it is like, like I'm gonna give it to you, but it is me. Uh -huh. But like, I talk about it so much sometimes that I try not to like bring it up. It's you know, uh, consider it. Uh -huh. There are people too in my life who I've I haven't seen, you know, because of the virus now in a couple of months. And if I was only seeing them once or twice or three or four times, maybe a year, they haven't really seen me in a year or so, maybe physically. And then they see something like, you know, like me on, on Instagram or something. And they're like, I can't even, it doesn't even make sense. Even I, and I know you, um, you know, so this is it. So. Yeah. So uh, let's, let's do a little bit of the before. Sure. So at the at the point at which you couldn't take it anymore, you decided to change. Like you mentioned, you were like 360 pounds, but what type? You had diabetes. Like what? What else? Like how would you describe that person who who made that brave decision and took that first step? Um, I would describe him as someone who is was really a reader and just just like open to just anyone who had some, some ideas. I try a lot of different um, diets, if you will, and, and 
you know, had structure like with Weight Watchers and, you know, with some uh, coaches and stuff like that. And it just, it just didn't make sense to me, like as a human then, I don't know, like it just was more like Band-Aid kind of work. And so, so he was constantly looking for and searching um, and learning. I'd say I'm still an habitual learner um, today. So, you know, kind of redefining it. I just, yeah. enrolled, I just enrolled in Cornell University's plant-based nutrition program. So, gotcha. so when you, when you, when you think about that person, like what was he doing wrong? Was it, he didn't know what to eat or he was eating away emotions or like, well, I mean, stress? I think, yeah, I think like white chicken, white breast chicken was like everything that I ever went to first without uh-huh. the, like grilled chicken was like a de facto uh, diet. Um, and so it was always involved in like the same kind of like mindset, like lean proteins, meat proteins, um, you know, stay away from sugary drinks, keep your carbs low, you know, like everything. So it wasn't when I, I started to like over the years, actually, and, you know, because of some of the pro like even Black Lives Matter stuff where I'm. I'm starting to read about my biases, my own personal biases that I've learned. And I start to apply that to food. And I start to say to myself, Neil Bernard had something that I read uh, and watched uh, um, once that diet is really passed down, not necessarily like the fact that families have heart disease um, or, or, or habitually diabetic. And that really resonated with me um, in a bias moment for, you know, where I was like, wait a minute, I've been taught all this stuff. I'm believing it hundred percent wholeheartedly. And yet I am not being a human in it and just researching it myself and defining it for me. Um, so I think, I think I got to that moment at the same time when my hands were numb and I couldn't type, I type a bunch of times. Um, I work for a bank. So I'm on a computer a lot, um, you know, so I was typing and my tips and my fingers went numb, you know, and I was like, I have to, t- I have to type every day. I can't not type. Mm-hmm. And that was really like, I was like, kind of like pushing through my fingers to like get some sort of feeling back. <clears throat> and a colleague of mine noticed it. And was just like, are you okay? Like he took me aside. He was like, let's go outside and talk to me. And I was, you know, I was just like, Nick, like I'm type two diabetic. I'm not taking my medication, like everything I'm doing wrong still. And, you know, my hands are, you know, like, what do I do? You know, so it was that sort of defining moment for me. And this was after the first time I was diagnosed with type two, I started medication six, maybe eight weeks prior to this little event. And um, it was really just me, you know, Google search. My mom had started kind of like this um, um, like um, vegetarian vegan diet. It was new, it was 2000, end of 2016, 17. She had a group of people text me a video 
uh, that was in a was in like a support group of hers in Florida, and it was Neil Bernard's TEDx 19 Minutes from 2014. Um, and that night, I had that time with the with the with the the tips of my fingers. I watched that 19 minutes. That was a Friday night. That Sunday, I stopped eating animal animal products, and that's here we are. Uh-huh. So that was that was April of 2017. Uh huh. So there's a there's a lot to unpack in that sentence, and and then I stopped eating animal products, yeah. right? I mean, there's people who go years with that intention. Mm-hmm. And can't seem to give it up or attract it to cheese, as Neil Barnard talks about mm-hmm. all the time. Uh, or, you know, okay, well, I'll just do fish or chicken or like, what, 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 was, was, the, what was your, pro- well, ahas are one thing. Right. But what was, like, did you know at that moment that that was the end? Because like, sometimes I'll it make was a the decision. Teeth. It was his, so it really was, it would, if we had to like, like narrow it down in his video, it was the, the comparison between a, a man or human being's teeth and, and a feline's teeth. Hmm. And the idea that um, some teeth are there to rip flesh. Um, and we have teeth to chomp plants and to chomp, um, you know, vegetables. And we don't have... Uh, and, and then the whole idea, again, unpacking my bias, you know, the whole idea that that human beings were not, I never thought of it as this like agriculture kind of output of industry uh, and, and, and the taxing environment it does on the earth um, versus, you know, like, just eating, just choosing not to eat those things. Like, it's just, it's just sort of like a pivot. It was just an easy pivot when it clicked. And I was just like, of course, my teeth are supposed to chomp on it. I don't have teeth to rip flesh. Like, uh-huh. like a wolf does, you know, and, and, and that makes sense to me, you know, as a, and just uh-huh. when I look at it, and then I thought about all the, when I started to, then research a little more, I was just amazed by how many plant edible plants there actually are. Right. And then just take, and then just like, and then I was curious in finding them in my community, in the Asian communities that exist in Queens, New York. And I would travel and I would, it just became this sort of like knowledge, like, uh-huh. like a door was opened and I was like, holy cow. Like I've been looking for you guys forever, and you know it's not vegan. I it, I mean it is, you know, but it's not the political piece behind the word the word vegan. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, what it's it sounds it sounds like, you know, because I work with a lot of people who struggle to change, and it sounds like what what you're talking about really is a subtraction, right? Like when you take away a bias. You know, you you seem like you have a mind that desperately wants to make sense of the world. And so when it was fed information about chicken breast as, you know, a good weight loss food, it was it just it kept running a faulty program because of faulty inputs. Um, I mean, that's, you know, that's so powerful, I think, to be able to to, first of all, recognize that we have biases. Right. And that the way we see the world is not the world, but it's our filter. Right. And so to be able to kind of, you know, um, change the 
I'm making, I'm trying to make the, <laughs> the lens motion well, uh, to, to, to focus not on the world, but to actually look at the lens and to say, oh, like once, once you remove that lens, it seems like you, you, the same you was now drawn towards a completely different dietary pattern. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly how I look at it. And I feel sort of like what I was saying earlier before we started was, um, you know, I can't do it for anyone unless I do it for myself first and understand it and unpack it for me and, under, and, and then get a little bit ahead of it for you or whoever, you know, is interested in, in this environment and, and uh, uh, learning about it. Because I think, I think what's happened in this year, you know, has really solidified it for me, you know, considering um, where the disease came from, um, you know, the origin, an animal, um, you know, and, and these sort of things just make me feel the more I do things personally for me and define myself, I can help others hopefully, you know, define themselves too. Um, and that includes, my family includes, my friends and colleagues, it includes new acquaintances, uh, because I can't, no one can really project, you know, inspiration without really stripping it down first and saying, like, this is worth it to me. If it's worth it to you, it's a path, but it's not going to be you because you're you. Like, it's very, like, I, I, I've had a lot of, like, mental health um, components that, I, that I've, I've learned over the last 12 months, maybe 15 months, too, that I started to map over to why I'm doing this in food and with my diet and subsequently, you know, on social media. Mm. So let's talk about mental health. What's, sure. what's the connection? What have, you, what have you discovered? What has your own journey been? What have you learned? Well, you said in the beginning that I have one of those transformations um, that where people don't recognize them. Well, or that you don't recognize myself, right? So, so could you imagine what it's like to be me that, and see myself consistently in the mirror today and say, wow, you really, really are the 1%, um, you know, like I remember what it was like to wear 46 pants and a 56 suit, um, you know, and be 5'9", um, and, 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 and ask for extensions on airplane, you know, belts and so on. And that was me for a very long time. I said I was dieting as a kid. I tell a story sometimes. Um, I was eight years old and playing peewee football uh, with some friends here. And I was like 140 pounds and you needed to be 119 to play with the eight-year-old team. So I played with the 10-year-olds instead. Mm. And I became friends with all the 10-year-old team. And the first game I went to go weigh in and I'm up against the 10-year-old, like, limit now. And I don't want to play with the 11-year-olds. They're a lot bigger than me, and I don't even know them. And I'm just upset that I'm fat and mm -hmm. can't play with my friends, right? Subsequently, my mom started taking me then to 
like a lot of church basement um, diet programs that were in the 80s around here. We had like, you know, these uh, programs like when Weight Watchers started uh, on Long Island, Weight Watchers started. Um, so there was a lot of competition in the beginning too. So there was this group called Think Thin, which is interesting. I talk a little bit about a lot now because Thinking Thin is exactly what I've been doing for 30 years. I've been manifesting it. I've been trying to find it. I've been failing um, consistently. At it. And I've kind of come to the point where like I, failure is not the opposite of success. It's just a part of it. Um, like you have mm -hmm. to just continuously get it wrong. So what did what did they teach and think then in these other programs? Like what did what did you internalize that was mm -hmm. useful yeah. and then that got in your way? I have to tell you, the Facebook groups are the church basements of yesteryear. So I think that um, uh, I think a camaraderie exists it, that used to exist in those. We used to like to to bake goods that were compliant with that, and then bring them and share them with you know, friends and that we met, that we knew every Tuesday night, we would go and see, you know, Shirley and, and, and Jimmy and whatever, you know, and there was, there was 12 of them or 15 people who got together weekly and, and you know, and struggled together, um, sort of. So I think that exists today in these Facebook groups um, at its core. I think a lot of people, I think I, for me, it's just amazing that there's just so many people who need help um, actually, and I, I mean, I, I thought I was alone for a long time, um, you know, and just to find out that I'm not is awesome. Find somebody like Josh, you know, and be like, holy cow, like he did all that and he's a runner and he's an Ultraman runner, like, and he's woke, you know, and like, like he is just an angel, you know, a star. And I'm like, I, I feel that way sometimes too, um, you know, so so that, those are the things that I think um, I learned back then was to have a community, you know, be be grateful in it. Uh, uh -huh. you know, I want to I want to push that point a little bit because I've seen Facebook groups and I've seen Facebook groups. Yeah. And I think, you know, basically I see three types of active groups. The group where, like missing chins, where people are really sort of pushing each other, holding each other accountable. A lot of people get their feelings hurt and leave. Then there are groups where everything's okay. And no matter what, like, you know, oh, I had donuts. Hey, that's cool. You know, take care of yourself. Start again tomorrow. So only 300 of, calories, right? Or something like that. Something right. Like you that. got this. Like, totally useless. And then there's, there's um, you know, there's sort of groups that are in the middle. Well, the groups that are in the middle are usually the ones with all the people that are completely, you know, like there's a couple of them that are just three, four, 500,000 people are in these groups, you know, and I use those groups to, to push a plant-based lifestyle. That's it. Uh -huh. That's it. That's it. Just to say, hey, I, I, don't, I don't need Facebook or Instagram to have a career or be an influencer. I am blessed in my white privilege that I have this career with, that I have. But I have this passion now that I knew about sort of that I've been manifesting for a long time that I'm saying to myself, I can do this. I can figure it out for myself um, and I can help a lot of other people at the same time. Right. That's, you know, so that's why I use it, but you're right. Sometimes 
you know, it, there are three, there, you know, there's even, there are some that are, that are trying to be, you know, define themselves and so on. But Facebook consistently reminds me of boundaries, actually, mm-hmm. and that, um, and how to define them and create them for yourself, actually. Um, you don't have to be friends with everyone. It's hard not to be. Um, trust me, 2,500 of them are on Facebook, too. Um, and I know Josh has talked about that a little bit later, but um, ultimately, I think they're the core of them. There are people there who are really just looking for some sort of inspiration, some sort of hope. That. Yeah, well, and I I joined for for sort of market research purposes one weight loss support group, and when you're talking about mental health, like I keep yeah. like whenever I go on that group, I just feel sad. Yeah, because of the assumptions behind the types of questions and posts people make, right? So there's so much self-loathing and and learned helplessness. So there was a post two days ago, hey, I, I'm not drinking enough water, any tips? And okay, like from a certain place, th- there's a conversation we can have mm-hmm. about, you know, get a get a big container of water, put it by your desk, like little, but the idea of, I don't know, it's almost like, like outsourcing. More water out- equals weight loss only. Like, well, that, that that's a thing maybe, or mm-hmm. that it's, it's just like, like that, that, that there are tips. Like that's the big thing in this group is like, okay, how can, like, how can I hack this? Yeah. And there's like, there's a, the big culture there is, hey, I'm doing the best I can. This is really hard. And I'm just looking for a shortcut. And yeah. when I look at when I look at your story, yeah. not only did you start, you know, you changed your diet on a dime 180 degrees, I'm looking in your background. Now you've got a whole bunch of, um, you know, weight bands and exercise yeah. equipment. You know, you're you're posting, you know, like viciously co- tough workouts, I guess your, you know, cycle and row yeah. and all that I stuff. Do a lot of cardio, They're all different types of cardio, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, like if someone were to look at your story, like if you were trying to sell the program, it right. would, you know, it might not sell that well, because you're like, look, I do a lot of work to get here. Right. That's right. Yeah. I, and I think, and I think if I have to talk about the mental health side of it too, um, and, and explain that like, I struggle every morning at like, you know, 6.30 when the alarm goes off, I tell myself 10 times to not go work out, like, and just take the day off. Like you've worked so hard. You know, and um, that's the discipline, you know, I think in this space that if you, uh, I just want to get better. So, oh, like my, my willingness to get better is greater than my, my self-conscious telling me to, to take the day off, mm-hmm. um, you know, so, and, and that's been true in meal preps, in cooking for myself um you know in sort of uh shopping trying things so was that was that true from day one of your transformation journey or was this was this a skill or a muscle you had to build like is like how do you how do you attend to your mental health you know you've got the two wolves inside you one says take it easy the other says this is important yeah 
Like I've, you know, I've had periods in my life where the one, the one that I didn't want to win kept winning. Yeah. And I, I knew it was uh, a depression. Mm -hmm. I um, 100% left my mental health in 2017 and, and then found it about six months ago, actually in July. So it was stuck there. So I didn't, I just pushed ahead and wanted and like, and found a supermarket that had vegan prep food. And I slowly, slowly just ate all that stuff and figured it out and Googled recipes and just got bad at it. But I never, I had to bring it back actually for, you know, and, 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 and say to myself, after I recognized, there's a phrase that I learned this year to early 2020 called mental ill health, um, which is, which breaks it down before mental health, we think of it more sometimes, and it's got a bias that you need to have trauma in order to have bad mental health, mm. or you have, you know, you have to have an experience as a kid in order, or, uh, you know, or as a teenager in order to now need some sort of mental health component. But the truth is, I talk to myself more than anyone else. So if I feel bad in my head, and I don't go to talk to anyone about it, or if I don't go talk to somebody about a doctor, but if I feel bad in my chest because I rode too hard, I'll go see my doctor around the corner um, or something like that. But if I am a little loose today up here, I don't talk to anyone about it. So, so I, I think recognizing my own mental ill health, I'm a male, I've, I'm more than just angry and happy, which is like, you know, the only two feelings men are allowed to feel in society, it seems. So, so just bringing it back, really kind of like going back and saying, all right, you know, you are still, you're, you are this person today. You did all this. I was, I had imposter syndrome for like the entire experience because I felt like I was doing it myself. I wasn't following anyone else. I didn't, I, I just took information and went with it. I didn't follow a program. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, you know, call Neil Bernard and, and get his, and get his, you know, what to eat. I didn't do the G, all the stuff that, um, eat to live, that the, the, um, you know, all those G bombs and stuff like that. And you, I didn't follow anything. I just was like, I know what whole food is. Mm -hmm. I know how to cook it. I'm lucky. I'm blessed that I, I grew up in an Italian family that, that where we cooked with each other and I was taught how to cook. So I was 37 years old and could follow a recipe. Mm -hmm. from that is something that I definitely appreciate with my learned bias. Um, but, but that was really it. I had to, I, I didn't, I left my mental health alone, but now I've recognized that I shouldn't actually. Mm -hmm. So can you, yeah. can you describe for people like what, what what were the mental health issues that were getting your way? Like what, what wasn't right? Sure. So I would say obviously recognizing myself, I'm still kind of working through that. Um, that was uh -huh. probably the biggest thing. So sort of like like mirror body dysmorphia? Totally. Like just 100%. Yeah. 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 I was talking, I went to, uh, to Leadville to run the marathon with a bunch of chins. And at dinner, they were talking about 
um, you know, stuff they guess that they don't talk about with anyone else. They were all like, yeah, walk past a, a store window. And like, there's a moment where I don't know who that person is. Yeah. yeah. I think too, like it wasn't, it, it was easy for my family to accept it. Um, but I never thought of the impact my journey would have on them too. So so if they're out in the street or out in the supermarket on their own, in their own space, people often come up to them and say stuff about me, unwarranted, unsolicited, which I obviously appreciate and they obviously appreciate too, but it does wear on them too. Uh-huh, yeah. You know, and, and so like that stuff hurt, hurt me, a little, you know, too, that I, you know, I have to sort of like, you know, there's a balancing act there too. Um, everyone says it. Everyone talks about it. I can't not talk about it personally uh, all day long, even at work. Um, I, I was a heavy, a heavy male at the same, the same job that I'm in today. Um, and I, I have the same 30 clients that I have today. Um, so they see me on Zooms now. They see me in my, you know, on LinkedIn. And so it's, so I'm always talking about that is, you know, part of my own mental health with it. Um, You know, and I think too, like in the beginning, believe it or not, in 2017, we couldn't eat anywhere. I couldn't eat anywhere. I still struggle to eat because I eat vegan when I dine out, but I'm really restricted, you know, because I really don't consume too much oil at all. Um, and everything vegan is out in the street is is mostly oil based or you know or something. Right. So 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 I'm curious because you know we're talking about mental health yeah. and for most of the people that I work with, eating is a way of punting mental health problems down the road, mm-hmm. right? And so mm-hmm. you're talking about having a very a restrictive your term vegan diet, which means you're not getting a lot of the jolly juice. Right, sugar, salt, fat, no. crispy meat. No refined. So, I don't need any refined carbohydrates. Any refined carbohydrates. Mm. So when when you made that transition, did you find that like the space that that created like caused you to be like you know face to face with sadness or anger or you know other things, whatever it is that we can typically try to yeah. eat away? Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think. Um, there was um, there was hope in in just the beautiful food that I did find. I mean that that it it was stuff. I had sore stuff that I was like, holy! Like I love beautiful food. Like I've always just loved beautiful presentations of food. My grandfather was like a like an artist, not not in the food space, but. He was an artist and I, I have a lot of appreciation for art and food always had that like presentation for me. So when I thought about, you know, let's say bad foods that were, um, but more like mentally good <laughs> uh, or, or helpful or, or, or something, or, uh, you know, I just saw that there were eventually um, you know, an opportunity where I can indulge in something that was not an animal product, but would satisfy, you know, a particular want or an indulgement. Now, 
I didn't. I don't. For, I don't know what it is, Howie. I'm still maybe looking for it, but it just was that switch, and I was just like, I don't need it. I got so sick. I don't want to feel those those tips on my fingertips anymore, ever again. Um, mm-hmm. I was on medication at 37 years old on metformin on thousand milligrams, and I don't. I didn't. I don't need to do that. There's no reason for me to be on metformin at 37 years old when I could just make better choices um, than what I put in my body. So that's that's really you know, the journey that I was on that I, I tried all that stuff. I tried the low fat, you know, Oreos bullshit. Sorry. I don't know if, but you know, like all that stuff is just gimmick and not, and not defining, you know, what is wrong with us and food. Right. Right. And I'm curious about the relationship of all of the cardio, particularly and mental health. Because when I started when I started coaching with Josh, people would say, "Hey, I had a bad food week," and I would be asking them, "What'd you eat? What were you?" Th-? You know, and Josh would say, "Are you doing your walking? Are you doing your running?" And invariably, when people stopped exercising, they became sort of listless and sad and unfocused and started eating badly again. So, what's, how how what's the relationship between your mental state and your your physicality? So I um, attest, I have a rower right behind me. A con- I, I row on a Concept2 rowing machine. They're like the industry standard. Um, they're made in Vermont um, and they've been around since the 70s. I learned, I, I was on a journey again. I had, I had not really ever worked out before, but I played football in high school and like, you know, I lifted a little bit in college, but I never was really taught anything. I started Orange Theory Fitness right after I went plant-based. And Orange Theory is like a group fitness organization. They have locations all over the world. And they got me really consistent in going. Uh-huh. Just going. Feeling right. And, our, and Orange, Orange Fitness is basically high-intensity interval training. High-intensity interval training, running, rowing, and, you know, no no bar movements like with an Olympic bar, but, you know, kettlebells or or – you know, like, like lighter weights and, and move, uh, dynamic movements in that. So Orange Theory, and, and then they were a different atmosphere from, a, from an exercise perspective where I had to be somewhere at a certain time to take a class. It wasn't on my time. I had, to, I had to be coached. So it was like a different experience for me ever before where I had sort of like to follow something. Right. And, and this is what we're doing for this hour. And you're going to be intense in it. And we're going to give you different levels and you're just going to follow us. And they were social. I say all the time, I'm the top of the millennial. I'm like the elder millennial, Howie. I'm 40. Right. Okay. So, uh-huh. uh, um, so I, I, I was 15 when America online came out. So, um, so I, I like that socialness. They have like a little socialness to it on, on social media and people were in that community again, you know, excited for me, excited. For, I was excited for them and I would see them and interact with them and share. And they knew I was plant-based. So it was, it was a nice atmosphere. I did a year of that and I, and I upgraded to, um, to where I learned about this machine, a local place, but a CrossFit influence place. Uh, it's called Concept Fitness in Oceanside. Really, really great place. Great coaches, really broke it down for me. And because of COVID, I bought this rower because 
I couldn't go to the gym. And it became a 45 to 75 minute daily mental solitude that I need to offset this brain of mine, that I need to offset my career and the intensity of it, you know, the, 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 all, the, all the excitement of social media. Uh, uh -huh. I, I'm focused on this machine for an hour a day. I know my splits. I don't think about anything else. So do you, you don't listen, do you listen to music or I podcast? I listen to some music. I do. I make some playlists during the week, you know, uh -huh. um, and so on. And I'll make some, and I'll listen to some music. Sometimes uh -huh. I rode in silence. Um, I just rode uh, a marathon on Christmas Eve, which is, I did it in three hours and 15 minutes. And I watched a couple of movies the first time. Um, you know, so, but it was just, and then I've loved it so much that because I post about it, people are interested in it and asking me for advice about it and so on. So I just felt like, you know what, I'm going to get mm -hmm. better at it and, and try to, yeah. Hey, can you, know, you just refine can, my craft? So. Can you coach me on rowing for a minute? Sure. Cause I, I got, I got a water rower. Okay. which which i love for two reasons first of mm -hmm. all it stacks up really nicely and it's just beautiful yeah. what i don't love about it is the interface i don't think it has nearly this the same sort of stats and connectivity as as uh, concept two that's what you pay for this little thing right here yeah this computer. yeah mm -hmm. uh, but i find like i can do 10 minutes and then i'm either really sore or bored and like i, I have trouble getting like what? What am I thinking about? Sort of metabolically, heart rate. If I want to go for half an hour or an hour. So when you let me ask you one question: Do you feel it in your chest and your back, or do you feel it in your legs? Hmm. <laughs> uh, if you I feel, I'll, I'll ask you why I asked you that. If you feel it in your chest and your back, you're pulling mm -hmm. too much. Okay. Rowing is a pushing workout. Okay. okay. So it's 60% with your legs and what we call the drive. And it's okay. the same no matter what you what what machine you you use it on. The four movements are are what's called the catch, which is when you're all the way up front, like almost in a fetal position. Uh-huh. The drive is when you push off. The release is when you touch off your chest and you touch the, the bar off your chest. It's a really quick release, very quick, like almost like think of it as your chest is hot and you don't want to touch it. Oh, okay. Okay. And then when you come back, two things to remember, make sure your wrists or at least your knuckles are past your knees before you bend them. That's big. I'll help your back. Because if you think about it, if you're sitting and your knees are, I mean, if you bend your knees before your wrists, you're already starting this sort of like arching your back. So you want to make sure your wrists and your knuckles are, are over your knees before you bend them. That's a big tip. The last thing, too, which I'm really starting to work on the most, is relaxing in the recovery. So the recovery is when you come all the way back with, with it before you get into the catch. And the, you can build really good endurance if you actually can control and relax your muscles for that half a second and fully relax them in that recovery and then spring them back on the drive mm. and tighten them up when, when you push off. Um, it's hard, 
there are so many different pieces to it that are so important. I'm learning a lot about my spine and being like tight with my spine and my core. And when I come back, I was, I was always, you know, cornered a lot. Uh, it's taught me a lot about like, so that's subsequently helped me with spots. Um, actually, because my core is straight, my belly button's tight. My, I know I can feel my spine straight. Mm. So, um, I don't know if these things are because I went plant-based or anything like that. I just know that I can recognize these things today because I don't have this weight on me anymore. Mm-hmm. You know? And, and um, I found something that I'm passionate about and that I, I really enjoy. That's great. That's great. Does that help? Does that is, yeah, yeah, because I'm just curious, because it seems like people who do who row can get like a really intense workout pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, and I it, find I, I don't. Um, I think I think I must be doing something wrong where I'm fatiguing or straining certain muscles. And, and like my body is is putting is blowing a fuse before I hurt myself. Videoing it helps, um, actually. And then there are a couple of YouTube series. One's called Dark Horse Rowing. Um, that is, has a good, like beginners, you know, kind of standard videos on YouTube. They they have a pretty big following. Um, and they, he's put out some really nice videos on the basics. Um, uh, to review those, I would say the biggest thing is those four movements, you know, go really slow in them and then make sure those wrists are Cast your knees when your knees are straight before you bend them. Um, you know we could we could do another podcast on on a whole on a rowing uh, kind of side by side. But uh, I love it, and it's not for everyone, right? So and it's okay to try it and fail, and then you know it it turned me into a triathlete actually. You know, so I was running a lot. Um, um, but more like like 5K and, and, and a couple of 10Ks and a couple of five miles. And I really was like, I can't run that long. Um, you know, like I have like this fear of running as like an overweight, like football player, you know, uh-huh. so still. So, um, but uh, your, your boy in, in New Orleans um, is a minimal inspiration on, on that. Um, I found that once I get past the two and a half mile mark, I feel really good and can go 10, 15 miles now, um, which is a really nice uh, feeling. I'll, I'll stick around 10, 15, you know, from a, from a pacing standpoint. Um, and I really can jog at all. I really don't run hard, like fast time trial miles or anything like mm-hmm. that. Um, but um, I just started to think, um, in the fitness space, what is, what seems impossible, you know, like, like if you saw that picture of me with my kids from 2007, that was, that was, um, uh, first day of school, 2017, um, that picture on the left. If I say to myself, that guy can run an Ironman, you know, um, that's, that's insane. What I look like now is not even insane until when I complete them. Like, you know, that when I cross that Ironman, I do that. Side. I've been like on this path of like what is almost impossible 
to to me then? And then how can I work my way to get it to be possible? Uh -huh. Well, that's another really useful perspective is that, yeah, the if you look at it as a single chunk, it's impossible. When you break it down into deliverables and timelines, it's practically inevitable. You, you mentioned right. before we started recording that you learned a lot from your business life that you applied. Let's 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 finish the podcast by talking about that. Because sure. so many people, this is so common that people come to me and they're bewildered and confused and have terrible mindsets and terrible habits. And then I ask them, is that how you think in business? And they go, no, of course not. No, no. Um, you know, I work for a global bank um, and have for about 10 years. And um, we plan all the time. We have planning events annually, quarterly, monthly, weekly. I don't have them daily, thankfully. <laughs> um, but I created my own daily stuff, actually. Um, we have a lot of time management, um, like resources, I guess, that I've kind of gone through. If you're a calendar person um, and like on your phone, one of the greatest things I think of, if you ever know that, Adam, I'm not sure, there's like a video out there where some guy puts a big, puts big rocks into a jar and then he puts yeah. smaller rocks into a jar and then he puts smaller rocks, pebbles into a jar and then he puts sand and then he puts water. It's all about, so we look at that and say, put your big rocks in on your calendar. So what are your, what are the big things you have to do every single week, you know, that you have to do, put them on your calendar, set the time now. And then, then when you come up to your Monday, be like, you're just going to spend your two hours on your meal prep because you've already determined that you're going to meal prep for two hours whatever it is on Monday. That's it. That's the day you do it. Um, and then subsequently schedule in little pebbles of time like this meeting, you know, today, you know, those kind of things. Um, so that, that mindset, that time management resources has really, you know, that corporate America, I guess, kind of influences. But for me, I was funny enough, not a lot of people know this. I still am like, I work in a middle market space at corporate America, but I helped run a national food and beverage program. And in 2017, all private equity money was going to plant-based products, right? And I, I went to a bunch of different um, like, like um, events where they had like, vendors. Like Expo West, Expo, Expo East. Expo West, uh, fancy food. You ever heard of fancy food? Um, in New York City, Jacob Javits Center. There's one in Boston too. There's a big seafood seafood special. So, so this was right as I'm starting the plant-based uh, lifestyle, and I'm also soliciting business in the food and beverage vertical for this for our for our bank. And we just, I just saw the growth in these companies in a little bit, and I was just like, wow. I was like, they just I didn't even know who they were and they've already gotten $15 million from some angel investor or something mm -hmm. like that, you know, and they exist in Asheville, North Carolina, and they have 14 people that work for them and nobody knows it, but they're here right now trying to promote themselves as plant-based, you know, and, and I am plant-based. I didn't tell many people even that I just kind of observed it. And I was like, I think I'm on the right path here then actually. 
I said, I, you know, I, that's sort of, and, and, and so between the time management stuff and just the fact that I'm in the space and I work with corporates, um, you know, that are in the food and beverage vertical, it was, it was just a sort of this, a little bit of a, you know, a, a reckoning or, or, or so on um, that for me, where I was able to kind of like, holy cow, I've always meant to be here, actually. Hmm. Um, you know, so that's, that's, that's my story, man. So I hope, I hope it's good. And, you know, people can understand that, like, uh, it's okay. Uh, I'm, I, I'm one of those herbivores, because I think there's a lot of uh, definition in what we are today. Um, but I'm one of those herbivores that just want people to find themselves in the, in this plant-based lifestyle. And if, and if you just want to eliminate eggs, be, that's fine with me. Like, I'm not going to be upset at anyone. I don't understand why there's so much angst in the vegan community, um, you know, as it relates to uh, compassion for animals versus compassion over individual choice. Um, you know, so th that's really it for me, um, you know, and hopefully, you know, in the next couple of years, we can, we can all grow to more than what is it four percent I read in the U.S. now actually or something just recently uh -huh. five five percent of us are uh, identify as vegan I guess so uh -huh. um, so yeah so that's it man I appreciate the opportunity uh -huh. and I just want to say thanks and anyone that's listening uh, feel free to reach yeah great you got time for two more quick questions of course yeah okay mm -hmm. so so one is I noticed when I looked you up on Facebook. Um, I thought your last name was your middle name and that you had like a, uh, I wasn't sure if it was like, you know, Hmong or Vietnamese, like you had a H E. I thought yeah. that was your last name, mm -hmm. but then I, then I discovered it's sort of he, him, you you, and you talk about why you include your pronouns in your social media. Can you? Sure. So absolutely. I, there's two, three reasons. Um, and one is I'm male. And I know I have I have a 14 year old who has friends who identify um, as LGBTQ and her clique is important to me and I love them. And if and if I also volunteer with a foundation called the Ryan Bartel Foundation uh, through work virtually, which is a um, it's a. Um, it's an organization that helps at-risk teens and like put them in like big brother, big sister scenarios with corporate America. Okay. And they helped us understand that one in four LGBTQ youth do identify, do not identify with the birth gender that they were, um, you know, given. So it's important to me to to, to identify my pronoun and normalize it for our, you know, uh, generation and, and, and generations older than me, um, because those youth, what Ryan Bartel Foundation told us is those youth that are at risk, that do, um, that do not identify with their own, with their, you know, their given sex um, identity, they are like 80 times more likely to commit suicide and chances are, if they see an adult who self-identifies their pronoun, there could be a reach, they could identify me as somebody who's open 
and who's willing to, you know, to, to, to talk or be an outlet for someone who could make a bad decision um, in, in, you know, uh, in their own life. So it's really just for me um, a way to help normalize pronouns um, for our generation and to also um, any one of my kids' friends have an issue and need somebody to talk to, like they got a friend in me, you know. Mm. It, um, and it's, I've been lucky enough to, to hear that from my daughter's friends, um, you know, and grateful that, you know, they recognize that, um, you know, I'm going to do the right thing if they come to me with some with something, but they can come to me and I'll help them, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. And, you know, I'm thinking back to my high school and junior high time. Like, I didn't know a single person. Like, no one would have said that they were gay or or anything. Right. You know, it was, it was so... And then, you know, following them and keeping up on Facebook, I'm like, oh, you know, so-and-so is gay. Oh, of course he was. Like, yeah. you know, why, yeah, why, why did he take all the girlfriends then? Like... Right, right. <laughs> One of the things too is my one of my closest friends from college um, I met as a female, um, and he transitioned about five years after I graduated, like 2017, and he's been my best male friend for the last, you know, 14 years. And trust me when I tell you, if I introduced you to him as brand new, there's no way you would have known. Um, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. and. It's, um, he's been able, his, you know, story is, is his story and he's been living a beautiful life. Um, and you know, it's just, a, it's just a, and well, trust me, I get a lot of shit for it. Actually, there are a lot of people who don't understand it. And I think again, comes back to unpacking those biases, mm. um, you know, and thinking about exactly why you're upset about that. And, um, uh, not taking, you know, things into consideration. Uh, I'm 40. I had no um, support in uh, anything like that as a kid, you know, or even thinking of that, like in schools. I'm in the same boat where I didn't know anyone that was gay until college, um, you know, in 1999 when I or 98 when I started college um, is when I first met uh, my first like. You know, I was like, I'm friends with a gay person. Like, oh my gosh. You know, like, it's like, like it was a big deal. Um, but the kids today have a really strong network in the schools. Um, you know, uh, some, so, you know, it was just, it's just, it's a couple of things, you know, obviously it's a couple of different things. And, you know, it, hopefully it, it helps people just, and I've got, I've gotten a lot of people say, Hey, thank you, actually. Um, especially on Facebook. Cause I'm like probably the only one that, that figured out a way to just throw it into my name, um, too. And, and, um, it upset some people, some friends of mine, you know, or acquaintances that I've had, but I'm me. So you could, you know what that means. So, yeah. uh, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, I like to ask my guests what they're listening to musically that's other people that they like that other people might not know about. I am hooked on glass animals. Glass glass animals. Okay. 
Is there a particular song I should put in the uh, show notes? Well, you should just listen to the Dreamland album. Yeah, it's the newer album. Actually, their first album is called, interestingly enough, How to Be a Human Being um, that I listened to. And that's an excellent album, too. Um, but I listened to, so that's a new band that I, my daughter turned me on to. Definitely, they're excellent. Um, very... Uh, like like eclectic alternative with like a hip hopness to it, uh, but not rap to it, but mm-hmm. more, but uh, a band, very cool stuff. Uh, and then I'm like, I'm a Wu-Tang fan. You know, I listen to a lot of 90s alternative music, um, you know, and all sorts of the gamut, you know, from, mm-hmm. you know, from Led Zeppelin all the way through, you know, even uh, Nat King Cole and, you know, jazz. I, pl- I was a drummer in, in high school and played a lot of jazz band, um, you know, so I got into some of that stuff. A lot of oh. older Rolling Stones and, you know, blues too. So, I mean, it's a cl- but when I work out, I'm generally in that like 90s grunge sort of or like Wu-Tang Clan mode. Like it's just, I don't know, it's just one of those things. So, yeah. All right, great. Well, right. I, I, I've never heard of Glass Animals, so I got something to listen to. I'll put, I'll, cool. I'll link to that. Let me know what you think. I will, I will. And uh, I'm sorry that Martin Shkreli uh, outbid you for the for the Wu-Tang Clan album. Oh yeah, absolutely. No problem. What was, he was, he, <laughs> he probably paid, uh, uh, you probably should have bought some Bitcoin at that time, actually. Yeah. <laughs> clan album. Yeah. All right. Well, Dan, it's yeah. been such a pleasure getting to know you a little bit, hearing your so story much, and, and the energy yeah. that you that you bring to it and the and the just the generosity of your sharing. Oh man, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. It means a lot. All right. I hope you liked that one. If you did, you can check out the show notes and see links to um, stuff we talked about, including some of the music that Dan was talking about. And that's at plantyourself.com slash 450, 450. So in movement news, I've been feeling pretty strong at uh, Saturday morning ultimate Frisbee, and I attribute it to all the yoga I'm doing through Monkey Bar Gym and also the weight training. I got a couple of 25-pound kettlebells that I'm starting to learn how to swing, you know, use the hips, use the knees. And I'm hoping that within a month or two, they'll be too light and I'll have to go back online. It's really hard to find kettlebells these days. Apparently, uh, lots of people are uh, supplementing their home gyms if or uh, creating home gyms now that they don't feel safe going out to, uh, to public facilities. So they're hard to come by. They're kind of cool. And uh, yesterday, doing a really hard work out, I could feel the sweat. And so I'm very grateful that I didn't end up like hurling any of them out the window. So I might have to get some gloves for that. And I'm off to play some tennis this afternoon after I um, drop this podcast episode and do some writing on the book that I'm working on uh, with lead author. uh, Well, we're co-authors, but he's really the lead author, Peter Bregman, about how to help people change. I'm really excited to be getting that one out there. It'll be uh, hopefully on shelves on September of 2021. And right now, the title of the book is Yes, You Can Change Other People, which is both a bold promise and also sounds kind of arrogant. So I want to assure you that it's not manipulative, but it is sort of the best practices of, of 
compassionate um, and effective coaching applied to all sorts of life circumstances and situations. I'll let you know when you can go on Amazon and pre-order it, which helps us a hell of a lot. Um, in garden news, uh, got into the garden this week and did a bunch of clearing of sort of dead brush. Hopefully everything that I pulled out is in fact dead and not some sort of uh, perennial that Mia is going to miss next year. It was mostly like straw and corn husks and, and uh, beanstalks and, uh, you know, pole beans and, uh, and runner beans that are sort of just uh, basically, you know, kindling now. So those all went into the compost heap and the beds are clear and going to start laying out wood chips on the um, the paths between the beds and getting ready for spring. The daffodils are already up a little bit. 